whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I just think that like the evolution of a brand takes time and you learn things from kind of testing and, and failing. Uh, that's how I got to be an entrepreneur to begin with. So even with stores or new products or whatever, I kind of want to test and fail a little bit because we're like some people who are, you know, have large amounts of venture backed kind of money. will just jump right in and go as fast as possible because it's, it's a race. So it's just grow, 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 which I think for us, our brand is strong enough that we can not take our time, but just make sure that we do it right. So here we had this dilemma, this this fact, this fact. This I fact. spent almost a decade, decade researching decade, this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. You may have tried Hint Water before, but this is my podcast. Each week we talk to some of the most creative entrepreneurs from world touring pop stars like Jay Sean to the people behind favorite Instagram accounts, including So Yummy, New York City, and even YouTubers like Sarah Dietschy. So the million dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hi, everyone. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. So today's guest is Jake Casson, and I'm so excited to have him here with me today. He is the founder and CEO of Movement. That's M-V-M-T, the world's fastest-growing watch brand. On the show today, we dive into how he raised $30,000 in one day on Indiegogo, how he utilizes growth hacking 
and his deep roots as an entrepreneur. He was making $10,000 a week when he was only 16 years old. We also touch on selling direct-to-consumer versus wholesale, how he hires and grows his team, and what's next for movement. Also, thank you to those of you who have been leaving such meaningful reviews on iTunes. I'd like to share one of them from Lori Taylor. She says... Kara is one of my top entrepreneurial idols. I'm inspired by her story, passion, work ethic, and grit. This podcast resources men and women that are changing the world for the better. Thank you, Lori. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could support the show by leaving a review on iTunes. And maybe I'll read it in the next episode, too. You're going to love this episode. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Super excited to have you, Jake. Guys, this is Jake Kaysen. Super, super excited to have him. And for those of you who don't know about Jake and all of the great stuff that he's done, he is the founder of an incredible company called Movement, which is super, super awesome. Watches, but lots of other stuff in uh, in the horizon as well and uh, we're really excited to have him here today in West Hollywood we're actually doing this whole podcast from the former home of Charlie Chaplin did you know that I heard yeah it's pretty awesome right it's hidden in here but it's pretty pretty cool so excited to show some little videos of it as well but Jake so first of all thank you so much for coming here and I'd love to just kind of get your backstory. Like, how did you decide to start this great company? And tell me a little bit about you. Yeah, no, totally. So I started this basically back in college or when I was living in kind of the college town. I dropped out of college at 19 pretty early to, to uh, start different businesses. In high school, I, that was the first time I kind of explored with different uh, online businesses and found success. So early years in the college, I, I dropped out um, because I had the opportunity to open up a, a store in a mall for a previous business. So I still lived and paid rent in Santa Barbara where I was going to college, but um, I would go home during the week to go and work the store and hire employees and do that whole bit. So um, that all kind of ended and um, towards the tail end of kind of my college career, so to speak, um, I was trying to think about what I wanted to do next. and. This was right around the time where Kickstarter and Indiegogo, the whole crowdfunding phase, was kind of going on. I was just trying to reflect and figure out what I could do. And I saw a lot of people finding kind of rapid success in these different projects on Kickstarter. And I'd already had experience with an online store, online brand. So I knew that it was something that I was capable of doing. I just I wanted to figure out a product that I could really believe in. My, my previous businesses were very niche products. and. If I went to a, a room of 10 people and tried to sell my product, probably one if would yeah. buy. It just what, was. What was the? It was a, so I, I describe it as I sold uh, rave light accessories. So if Coachella, EDC, any of those oh. things, I sold the accessories from tutus to pasties to lights, everything. So it just was very niche. And I just kind of like fell into that because uh, the electronic dance music scene kind of blew up and I was young and so I went to a couple and I was, who, who's selling this stuff to these these kids? So, it's fast forward, um, I, I loved fashion specifically and um, you know, and I was kind of thinking about what product I wanted to, to you know, get behind and start. Washes came to mind just because there wasn't a brand out there that I really resonated with from 
really like what the brand represented. I'm, I'm passionate about brands like Nike, Adidas, Supreme, brands that stand for something more than just a physical product. Um, and then for me also, it was just, you know, at that time, uh, all of the watches on the market that were well known just weren't really accessible for, for me in terms of a practice. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. 
I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Price point. So I think from a brand, the aesthetic of the design and their price point, those were all things that made sense to me. And uh, I figured that if I could launch on a crowdfunding platform, I could raise capital to, to then fund the business and then build a business online, at least to start. So yeah, we, we launched on Indiegogo and, and raised $300,000. And you know, last year we did $80 million. We're five years old and completely bo- completely bootstrapped, haven't raised any capital, so. That's amazing. Those people listening who don't know much about Indiegogo, like how do you go about like, you know, trying to raise money on that. What do you think will, like, what would be your advice in terms of, like, you know, people should do it, you know, don't waste your time doing it. Yeah. If you have an idea like this, I mean, who do you think can be, like, successful? Yeah, I think that? I think physical products, physical goods, whether it's food or whether it's, you know, physical kind of fashion products, CPG, whatever, I think any of those are great to start on a Kickstarter Indiegogo. I can't really think of many reasons why you wouldn't want to go there initially for a few reasons. I just looked it up yesterday. I think Kickstarter gets 60 million people a month on their website, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just getting on the platform, you get free exposure, Mm -hmm. right? It's also a great way to test your story and to test your product and and just, I mean, first off, uh, you know, get awareness and, 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 and kind of cash flow to fund the rest of your business. But essentially you, you pre-order products. So for me, I pre-ordered six watches, took pictures of them and those were just samples. So that cost me kind of, you know, a couple thousand dollars to get the samples, but I didn't have to go place a full order, which, you know, an MOQ could be hundreds or thousands of units. So for me, it was the ability as a broke college kid with no money to go and max out my credit card and, and fund the samples, right? And I made a pretty video. I told my story. I explained like what I what what the whole concept of the brand was, and I gave my the customers essentially 50 days to pre-order. And I told them that you know if you guys back this project, you know down the road we're not only going to have watches, we're going to have different products. We're going to have a, you know a handful of different watches. Um, we're going to continue to build this movement and, and build this brand. And if they believed in, in, in the brand and they liked the product, then, you know, we gave them a discount to be the first ever to have the product. And that's essentially how we funded it. So we had, I mean, really, it took probably six months because we don't we didn't have money to place an order until the campaign was done. So 
until 50 days are over, we had 300,000. That's when we put down the, the deposit for the first run of, of watches. That's amazing. And so this is not equity. No, no, you're equity. giving away. It, no. You're, you know, you're definitely. And is there an opportunity on Indigo Go to do it as equity, or I, is it? I, I believe I believe there is on Indiegogo. There's also other platforms. Yeah. Um, I'm less familiar with that, and you know, I think those are probably more. Maybe it's like app based, right? Where you have no physical good to to return. You know, for for this, for me, if they give me a hundred dollars, like I'm going to give them a, a physical product in return. But if it's an app or, you know, something that they yeah, can't actually not. have you know, they have to yeah, have a piece of equity or, or some other type of compensation in order to, um, for them to back it. But I, I don't know if that's as popular. I think less people understand the whole concept of equity and how it works. So people usually want to back a product that they can actually have touch, feel, show off, so. Now, did you know any of these people who were backing you, like on Indiegogo? I mean, did you, or were they just people from all over the world? I mean, my mom and grandma and a few others, but outside of that, like, no, not really. I mean, it was, we, so another thing is, I had a $5,000 limit on my credit card. You know, I just got an interest-free 18-month credit card from from Chase, and um, that was to fund the business, right? So we, we bought a, camera from Costco and then returned it a week later like to film the video we were very very lean and bootstrapped so we didn't have money to advertise either so for us it was going on to websites like reddit or finding different blogs I hired some people in the Philippines to go and kind of like upvote us on certain websites to, to you know garner exposure so it was very much growth hacky how do you get free website traffic and hopefully they convert and then the, the great thing about Kickstarter and Indiegogo is that most people just launch and kind of set it and forget it. For us, because we kind of knew how to get traffic there, um, the, the, the more outside orders that you get, the algorithm of Kickstarter and Indiegogo actually say, okay, this, this campaign's more successful than the others. Let's give them more exposure because yeah. we think it's going to work. Uh, and then it just kind of turns into this snowball effect where they post an email or they post you on their homepage. And, and that's really how we started to really gain momentum. I, I think Indiegogo put us on... Uh, either an email or on the homepage, and we, we made $30,000 in a day. That's um, amazing. And we went from like, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars a day to that, $30,000 a day, and then every day after that, it was like a few thousand dollars until we got to the last day. So. And so growth hacking, was that like your first sort of view into, yeah, I mean, you're self-taught, yeah. it, it, right? Like So kind of, I mean, I, I definitely self-taught because I had nothing else, but I did for my first, when I was 17, Kanye West came out with a, a song called Love Lockdown and did a live performance at the MTV Music Awards and uh, I sold a t-shirt that lit up to music. So it was sound activated, had this little panel on it and it was like an equalizer. And I found it on eBay, I ordered 200 and I said, I gotta figure out how to sell this. So I recorded Kanye West video and it just so happened that his theme was, I think it was called Glow in the Dark Tour or something. So it was kind of more very light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had Kanye West for the first five seconds and then it cut to me in my t-shirt. And this was back when YouTube didn't have these, you know, the, now they get on top of that, but back then they didn't. So I think I had a handful of videos that reached a million views uh, and I just started selling thousands of Did dollars. Did Kanye reach out to you? Uh, no, he didn't. And in fact, <laughs> people were pretty pissed. Like the comments, the comments on the videos were not pleasant, but yeah. they're funny to read, but um, they're pretty, they're pretty mean. Um, but pe- uh, people were buying shirts, so. Um, and like thousands of dollars of shirts. I was like 16 or 17 years old going to the, the bank every week bringing you know, $10,000 or depositing $10,000. So um, yeah, it was a really cool experience. So anyways, I saw that and I, I went, okay, the, the, 
you don't have to have this like structured advertising marketing like this i'm doing things that marketing execs don't even know totally. so yeah that just taught me that that there is an advantage to me being kind of young and using certain platforms such as instagram or social media across the board to leverage um you know ways to make money so I, i've kind of that's always stuck with me at this scale it's harder to do for me like it doesn't make sense for me to go and try and growth hack a certain area to, to, to make, you know, $100,000. Like we have different, we're doing TV now, we're doing radio, we're doing podcasts. So for us, I'm looking for scalable things, but I think that there's still an opportunity for the young entrepreneur um, and new platforms out there like Snapchat or Twitch or whatever it is where I'm not familiar with it, but there's certainly ways to do it, so. Yeah, well, I think it's true. And I think it, it's, I always say like, it's not just about the older you get, but the more experienced you get, it's like you don't actually see the opportunities that are right in front of you, yeah. right? Like I think yours is a great example and that's why I always say like the, it's not just about the younger audience, it's the people that are not necessarily saying like they're marketers, you yeah. know, they're like, you know, they're, whatever season marketers or you know they've been working in the industry I like to me that is irrelevant in today's day and age because when I hear stories like yours it's really about I mean it's great that you were 16 or 17 years old but it's really about like the stuff was right in front of you and yeah. you knew how to be scrappy and you knew how to roll up your sleeves oh. and actually figure the stuff out so I think that's such a cool story so briefly want to touch on so you know you're in college trying to figure out like what you're gonna do and you just like, you call your parents and you're like, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Did, were they just freaking out? Um, <laughs> my dad, so my dad is an entrepreneur. He had a business for 23 years and then it went under with the economy. So I kind of saw, you know, a, a comfortable way of life mm -hmm. and then kind of a, you know, struggling over the years. And um, I, th I think he, he pushed me for sure to be an entrepreneur. He always He always had me doing things that were a little bit more labor focus so I was painting curbs like uh, American flags on curbs and doing all this other uh, I don't know selling he, he owned a soccer center so I would like make soccer mom uh, bracelets and stuff and sell keychains oh, and sell awesome. them so but I hated making them and I hated painting the curbs I liked the money part and the marketing part but yeah so I think anyways point being is like my dad knew that I didn't want to go to school this was a conversation over the years um, so when I told him, and, and I told him the reason for it was that I was going to go open up a store at a mall, and I had an opportunity to open a store there. And, and meanwhile, my website was making was making six figures, so a hundred and something thousand dollars a year. Um, That's insane. So my my dad was like, okay, this is real, right? This is going to happen. And when I went to the store, I, I signed a three month lease. It was kind of a pop up before pop ups were even a term, I guess. But uh, and I had a, I think in December we had a fifty thousand dollar month. So. I, so everything was looking good, and then I made a decision. Let's sign a year lease, and it was in a really, really bad place in the mall, like a horrible place. It was always it was known for not no tenant has ever stayed there for over a year. But I was like kind of defined that because I, I think I had this online brand and I was bringing customer. I already had a line out the door for Black Friday, and I just I, I, for whatever reason like it was working for me. And then um, so I told him that he was all for it, and then I, I had ended up having a competitor put me out of business who was actually on Shark Tank as well. So he's definitely, and we're friends now. He always tells me that I owe him for kicking him out, or for kicking me out of the industry because uh, found watches. But yeah, I think uh, my, my parents were pretty, they were okay with it. The, the, I think the issue came or like the frustration came when 
the business went under and I actually owed my parents some money, I owed my grandparents some money. And they started to feel real frustration as I didn't really have this this company anymore. I was a drop out of college and I started working ballet up in Santa Barbara just to just to support myself so I can kind of finish the year up there. But I felt like the tone change in my parents' voice. They were not not disappointed, but just I don't know, antsy, right? Like they're anxious and like kind of like just hoping that I figure it out. But things weren't looking good in my favor, right? Like I was a drop out of college at nineteen. The only career, you know, kind of knowledge I had was my previous business in an industry that, like, was a very niche industry. So I was definitely, like, freaking out for a little bit, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then you decided movement. So how did this, so let's talk about, you know, the next chapter of your life when things started to, uh, I don't know, not necessarily look up, but you you started to get a bug in your, in your, uh, bonnet whatever yeah. <laughs> what's the saying to go and actually do something new so how so obviously you looked at less niche businesses and and watches and did you always were you always a watch guy did you always have a lot of watches or i i didn't have a lot there were certain brands that i loved yeah. um but i couldn't afford them so yeah. I, I i loved watches and it was an accessory it was like the one accessory i owned but I didn't have a big variety of them just because um, I knew which brands I would have, but yeah. um, but even those brands as I got older, I felt less connected to. It was you know action sports brands. They were like skate surfboard was their focus, or some of them were just really bland and and I didn't I couldn't tell you what the brand was or represented. So um, as I got older and Instagram and all these social media uh, platforms kind of came to be, I realized that none of these guys had taken advantage of of connecting with the customer, right? Like they just, there, there wasn't a connection past, I'm gonna go to a third party retail store and buy the product. Um, and I'll talk to the sales rep about the brand. Like there's no direct brand to customer communication. So I just realized that early on and also just the aesthetic of a lot of watches. Like not, not that, you know, I think we have our own aesthetic. I think it will evolve over the years. I think brands evolve. Um, you know, we right now we're a very minimalist brand, but I don't consider us to always come out with only minimalist products. So I don't know, it was just it was just a combination of kind of everything and, and realizing, and I, I had thought of other projects. I was actually gonna do a, a, a boxed water uh, back in the day, and then just didn't Terrible follow through idea. with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I didn't know I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but our, our buddy, his dad owns, um, or no, sorry, his uncle owns uh, Reed's Beverages, so, and he was my roommate, so we were like, all right, beverage, we got, we, oh, that's we, so funny. we know someone in the beverage industry, like yeah. how do we figure that out? And I wanted to start like an agency to help people get websites developed because I had done a handful. So, and probably 10 other things I can't remember right now. But so I was always thinking about what I wanted to do and watches just made sense because I wanted something that had the ability to scale to like a large, you know, just had a huge industry. Again, something that I could walk around and talk to 10 people and, and sell, potentially sell to, to half of them at least, right? So watches just check the boxes off and and I don't in movement although we started with watches like I consider us an accessories brand I know we have to kind of point and kind of roll the ball in the direction that we want to go so we're still a little premature in that sense but we have sunglasses that have done very well we have jewelry as well so the goal is always like if we can build this lifestyle brand and watches kind of being that 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 hero product we can grow into being this you know larger than life uh, lifestyle brand so Okay, so watches online. So you just made this decision not to do your pop-up store, not the mall, not selling them in the mall. Well, I learned. I learned the hard so, way. Yeah, learned you learned the hard, the hard, way, hard yeah. way. Focusing online. But the other thing that's really interesting. So, so 
your primary business is men buying these watches, right? Uh, it's about 70-30. Yeah, um, which is super interesting in e-commerce yeah. because men aren't really supposed to be shopping online. Yeah. I mean, that's what most people, and yet you've proven that wrong. Yeah. So that is extremely bold. I mean, on so many levels, I, I applaud you for that because I think most people who are e-commerce experts would also say, like, you can't actually build a business that is, you know, not only scalable but sustainable yeah. based on men actually buying but you've proven that wrong and you've proven that people are uh, are buying multiple watches as well so yeah. this is not just a one-time thing that's super super cool so what is the average price point right now that people are uh right now it's around 130 bucks it started around so right now they range between 95 dollars and i think the most expensive is 165 again our whole thing is like you know price is going to be Price is something that is important to us. We want to make sure that we we offer you know accessible price points and and still high quality products. I think the main focus with price is like if we come out with a a watch that has different types of kind of internal components that are more expensive, like our watch will still be competitively priced in comparison to like traditional brands. And a large piece of that is the fact that we did start with a direct to consumer model. We're not a direct to consumer brand only we do sell in Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's and we're rolling out other wholesale partners but it's just because we started online like we didn't have to deal with that middleman and we were able to to really just sell direct and and have a a better margin that way so that's awesome and do you feel like so did that just start with the Nordstrom's or has that been going on we've been doing Nordstrom's for two and a half years now that's that's Um, awesome Nordstrom's Amazon Bloomingdale's and then we're rolling out into we're doing a pretty decent sized kind of wholesale distribution strategy over the next 12 months. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who doesn't do direct to consumer, but runs a pretty big um, offline brand. And we were talking about how, uh, so our business, we have like 40% of our overall business at Hint is direct to consumer, which for a beverage company is significant. And we love that business. That's not including Amazon. And so we do Amazon as well, and then we sell in, you know, the grocery stores across the country and college campuses and lots of other um, programs as as well. But I always tell people that we love our direct-to-consumer business because we actually have a relationship with the customer. So although we, you know, really like the, you know, business of selling in Publix and Target and all the rest of these businesses, we just feel like it's almost branding for me versus actually like having that relationship with the customer. So, you know, like I love the sales and I love, I mean, I'm sure you do as well, but I really think like just the cachet of having your product in a Nordstrom is awesome, but it's, you're not going to get that email address so that you can go out tomorrow and say, Hey, you bought this watch and you know you should you'll probably like this watch as well so that's the downside of it i I used to have a different view i used to have a view of wholesale's bad and stay away and um and then i've just realized that you know as a brand you need to be sold where your customer shops Mm -hmm. right and i think it's important that um that you can offer that so i think for us actually there's an i've learned and i've I've realized that there's an advantage to having i think starting online first or owning a, a larger percentage or um, just understanding that business at least helps you because you're able to get the email address, you're able to totally tra- tracking of any type of advertising or anything becomes much easier. So just the data component alone and you make more typically, right? So that's a, a big important piece, but 
I think that as you're spending marketing dollars, if someone sees, as an example, we have TV now, right? So if someone sees us on TV and they can only buy on our website, the chances of making our you know return on on kind of investment there is probably a little more difficult uh, to do rather than oh we're also in Nordstrom's and we're in you know Blooming and we're in you know a hundred other stores like the chances that they will convert at some point uh, there's a higher likelihood so that that's kind of been and then on top of that it's awareness as well how many people didn't know about you and see you in a store and then buy you so I think there's a lot to be said about that I think it's just timing and, and, and how you kind of, what's your rollout plan. I think for us, direct to consumer, and for many people, direct to consumer is the only way that they can afford to grow a business. I mean, most of the brands that are either bootstrapped or very little capital are only able to start direct to consumer because if, you know, if they were selling to companies like Costco and they wanted huge orders, I mean, you have to be able to find or have access to capital to fund those. So for me, it's, you know, every day that we sell a watch, we basically get that money and reinvest it into more inventory, right? So versus having terms or whatever it is. So now we're at a point that as we go into distribution and wholesale, you know, we have a line of credit and we're just a bigger brand that we can afford to, to deal with this. But if you start in wholesale, it's very capital intensive. Also, the risk of you going to a store, whether it's a Whole Foods or a Nordstrom, and not performing because your brand's not well known, that's kind of your only shot. So for us, Every store we've launched in, we've had wild success because people know about us and, and you know, we, we have this following online. It was funny, even another growth hack with Urban Outfitters, we launched Urban Outfitters and they did online only. And we started emailing our customers. We purposely put the, the SKUs that we sold them out of stock on our website. And anyone that signed up would get an email saying, oh, you know, Urban Outfitters has this. Sold out of everything in two weeks and then Urban Outfitters rolled us out to like 50 stores or something like that. So it's just like little growth hacks like that that we use. What we realized is we weren't making as much money uh, and Urban Outfitters isn't the greatest watch retailer anyways. So, you know, and then by the time we, we signed up with Nordstrom, it was just our brand was organically well known online and people were going in asking for it. So, um, but anyways, that's kind of my mindset of strategy wise. Now there are some, brand, some brands that make sense to be like their model of being direct to consumer is is what gives them that advantage fully and, and they'll stay like that. But I think for a lot of brands, like it's it's how you start and then evolve over time. Well, I think to your point too, that if you start out, you know, as we did as a, as a wholesaler to stores, and it's a little bit different, a beverage, you know, that is less than two bucks yeah. versus what your product is. But, you know, most of these retailers, they, don't want to actually take a chance on you, right? Because you're not really a brand yeah. yet. And they believe that their brand is more valuable than your brand. Yeah. And so it's, you know, if you get a chance to actually get into these stores, then best case, you maybe get, you know, two SKUs. Yeah. Best case, right? And like you beg for four SKUs, but you get lost in the sea of, you know, yeah. like, lots of choices of watches or lots of choices of beverages or whatever and it and then you only have so much time before that retailer will bump you out of there yeah. and so what we learned early on is that we typically just say now yeah. and so and there's always this i get it asked by entrepreneurs all the time it's like when do you say no right because it's like i mean you know the game now too like if you go in with you know into an urban outfitters with two you know two of two SKUs, you're gonna fail, right? They're gonna stick it somewhere in the store 
and it's not going to really have your brand yeah. and people won't be able to see it yeah. and then people won't buy it yeah. or or they'll think like gosh I can go to Nordstrom's and buy this product and you know they have 25 of them there versus a choice of two and so then Urban's going to fail and they could have been successful yeah. right if they actually gave you more selection but they're not really really they're not like thinking about it in a strategic way that's actually how am I going to be successful as a brand mm-hmm. and partnering with this it, with this product. So so anyway, I just I'm I think what you've said is really really like right on because if you have the ability to go online first, that that's the that's the way to show these offline retailers yeah. that they need to have a bigger selection. They need to actually like have a credible partnership um, scenario set up for this consumer so that yeah. the consumer is not going to go elsewhere mm-hmm. for the product too. So, yeah. And I, it's, yeah, it's funny. I have I have a handful of friends now that are in kind of um, you know I don't even know like, like consumable type of yeah. products and uh, sell to Whole Foods or Costco or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And because I've just been fascinated with the fact that once like you know I, I have a, a a watch that you know can last for years versus a product that is consumable and they if they like it they want more right. Yeah. So in that in that instance, it's you know I've seen them the struggle of going into Whole Foods and having to do samples or like it's they're they're inching their way and they're doing well, but it's just a lot of work and a lot of kind of yeah. uh, and just like the the wholesale you're talking to different buyers and meeting them and it's it's a lot of work and I look at the way we build our business and not every consumable product can be sold online right like it's whether it's weight or it's just something that people want to go to a grocery store to buy but I think that watching kind of what we've done with growing it online, building a brand online, like we kind of, I think that if we launch into any retailer, and we've seen this with distributors around the world, we're actually 40% international as well. So we have distributors around the world requesting for our business right now because the brand's well known and hot in different in different you know parts of the world. So I just, I've seen this like ability and, and we've spent a lot of money and we've done a lot of work online that online work has direct offline benefits and totally and I, I think it's I think it's just it could be harder and maybe it's just because I don't know that industry as well yeah. but doing it offline I think you're segmented to like what stores you're in right like if I'm spending my time and energy in Los Angeles for the stores I want to work in it just seems like a lot of like mind share and effort for just one small region versus a TV ad that can go essentially global if I wanted it to or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is so I don't know. I think there's a balance, but I guess what I'm saying is I, I definitely think a direct-to-consumer strategy, at least to start with a Kickstarter, whatever it is, doing that is going to give you leverage. Even if you fail and you're like, okay, we're going to go to wholesale strategy, it's going to give you leverage in the long run yeah. um, for the wholesale, the Amazon, whatever else. Well, I think what you're talking about, too, is really data. It really boils down to the data because if you you know, talk to your friends who are launching in Costco or Whole Foods about, you know, who their customer is. I mean, they'll at best talk about who Costco's customer yeah. is, right? They don't actually know. And if somebody's going to go in and buy their product, they're not going to have that data. And so what you have done is you've taken that data and then you've continued to have a dialogue with that customer. And I always tell people too, I do believe that direct-to-consumer, especially early on, to figure out whether or not you have a business or, or not. If you don't have a product that people are going to want more of, like on a somewhat regular basis, and I mean, very different product, a beverage versus a watch, but 
most people who enjoy watches, I think either you have one or two watches or you have a lot of watches. Like I have friends who, primarily male friends that have lots of watches. And that's like the only accessory that they have. Like they don't have purses, they don't have, right? Like they have like one leather, you know, briefcase or whatever, backpack, whatever it is, and then they have lots of watches. And so I think that the sniff test on, on your category is brilliant because it says like, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are gonna do it. I think that the whole male thing versus female, it's like completely like, you know, I love it because it's like you you saw it as like, yeah, I think it can work and now how do we go and get those people too? I mean, it's, you know, and obviously, you know, if I would have been investing in this company, I would have looked at it as like, look, Dollar Shave, it's the same thing. It's like people like, were like, who would go and invest in razors? No guys are online buying, but they are. Like they're definitely on there. So, um, so anyway, I think that's that's super super cool. So, so when you talk about the data, and you know we talk about it a lot internally. What do you think is the like key thing if somebody's going and launching their site online? I mean, what are like the things that they should like do first to make sure that their data is like getting set up the right way? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're starting off completely kind of uh, day one, I think Shopify is. A great tool just that kind of takes a lot of the other components that you would have to worry about completely out there's so many apps that integrate with Shopify so simply having Shopify you have a kind of a, an optimized checkout the templates on Shopify have pretty much been battle tested that you know that they're usable and workable there's brands we started with a template we start with a template on Magento and then hated that and went to Shopify and we're spending less, it was like $150 template on Shopify. And we're able to build a, a million dollar business off of that. And then the following year, still on Shop, we're still on Shopify today, but the following year did $7 million with basically a thousand or $2,000 of, of kind of web development of tweaks. So it wasn't like we did a ton. Now that's not inclusive of browsing the, the apps and clicking install and going from there. But I mean, you're, you're getting email addresses. We had a, you know, I, um, it's called abandoned cart email that was like a ten dollar a month uh plug-in and whenever people typed in their email address and had something in their cart but left for whatever reason maybe they weren't ready or whatever they got an email and and those were converting customers and we paid 10 bucks a month and converted you know 25 customers a month in the early days and and we were like we're okay with that right so um i think there's just little things like that i think when you get to a larger stage like us there's you know, you have to get a kind of a data warehouse and start to worry about stuff like that. But but early stages, it was, you know, the, the emails and, and names and addresses and phone numbers, that's all stored in Shopify. You can have everything other than their basically credit card information, which is good because you don't want to be liable for any of that anyway. So having all that, I mean, you can export the data where needed. So we'll take that data and, and kind of aggregate it with, you know, Google Analytics and other areas and then uh, push it into a data warehouse now. But early days it was pretty much Google Analytics and Shopify and all the the data really necessary is is there to um, to make data-driven decisions as to hey did this Facebook work or did this Instagram post work or whatever it is you can kind of understand more about your website and make data-driven decisions so you were mostly doing a lot of the stuff early on and then how did you people always ask me like how do you find people yeah. too like who can actually help you yeah. to get better at the stuff yeah. and it's uh i mean it sounds like you know 
I always tell people I know enough to get me in trouble, right? Like, in, but there's always, I hire people that are better that actually know how to do these things along the way. But I think, I, you know, I'm a big believer that a founder always needs to um, have, you know, stay involved and know a little bit about all of these different yeah, things along the way. But, yeah. but how did you find these people like a, a lo- along the way? Like how many people do you guys have now too? We have just under 40. Um, Internal, we have another 30 that do customer service that um, aren't technically under the company. But initially it was, so I, I started talking. I networked more, actually less with founders and more with marketing kind of VPs or directors because it was like I wanted to know how to build the business. And every time I talked to a founder, it was it was about hiring or it was about fundraising. And it was all things that I, like I needed to know, but I, but what actually moved the needle was how do I spend? How do I operate? Yeah, right, like how right. can I? How do I go from spending a million dollars a year to spending ten million dollars a year and, and, and profitably, right? Um, so I talked to a lot of people, people from Dollar Shave Club and Me Undies, and would you just call? Uh, I use LinkedIn, kind of like the LinkedIn awesome. tool. Yeah, I would uh, reach out with a clever kind of subject line and offer to buy them a drink, and if they didn't respond, I'd hit them up somewhere else. And so mostly in L.A. Mainly area, in L.A. Like, Man, yeah. Actually, yeah, almost, almost exclusively really in L.A. There's a few people I've met over the years now and from San Francisco, and, and as the business has grown, like it's been easier. If I reach out to someone, I, I typically get a response now, but um, yeah, usually it was pretty persistent, and I think just people wanting, like, I think the difference is, is founders get hit up by people all the time, but I think... VPs and directors getting hit up for kind of, yeah. hey, will you be my mentor? Will you help me with this? Well, can I buy you a beer? Like that, I think that's a cool feeling. So, um, and it's good for them to network uh, to, to different businesses anyway. Yeah. So for me, it was meeting them and, and then understanding like what I needed to know or what I didn't know. And I kind of developed an understanding as to how the business needs to grow and, and you know what we were doing right or wrong today and like what would what's my next hire what's my next marketing hire is it a cmo is it a director and i met with other cmos even and i had other cmos go it sounds like you need a cmo and i just started kind of backtracking and trying to figure out exactly what it was and then i reached out to um through kind of a network found a, a popular recruiter in los angeles and he really helped us understand exactly i mean if you hire a good recruiter they're going to help you understand exactly what the role is and like what you may be missing and so just kind of help develop exactly what it was that we wanted and and I knew that it was also to a point where I had to turn down opportunities podcasts or speaking events or just I mean really just a handful of things um, other areas to grow the business because I was so consumed by the day-to-day marketing and I just realized like I need to kind of delegate and find someone who can do it better than I can because I felt that I was that there was things that I was overlooking that I didn't know, right? Like I was making money, we were doing well. I scaled the business to about thirty million before we hired a CMO, but I knew that like to get to the next step, there's just more people involved, and we hiring more employees. There was kind of more issues and and whatnot. So found him through a recruiter and and relocated him from uh, San Diego. But um, yeah, our CMO came in, and then he hired a handful of people underneath him. All people that I kind of helped source as well. I'm pretty. Uh, for the marketing side, at least, I'm, I'm I'm very involved in kind of who we're hiring and where they came from, and just kind of networking. But um, so yeah, I think I think knowing though, knowing Facebook, because I ran Facebook uh, for a long time, and I ran a handful of kind of the social channels and organic, and so understanding along with Shopify, understanding all those components, they're really like some of the most important pieces of the business that's going to grow and scale the business. I, I felt like I was able to hire people better because of that. 
where it's and it's tough to do like you know I think a founder has to do what they enjoy otherwise they get burnt out and um, but for me it was I enjoyed the marketing side so it was kind of weird giving it up but I also knew and had faith in the people that I was giving it up to and it's proven to be the best decision that um, I've ever made that's awesome that's super super cool so other categories so you briefly touched on this so sunglasses and and other stuff that you're working on like so how did how did you decide to go into these other categories I mean did you feel like people were I always so we launched the sunscreen and that was my own story of sort of wanting a better sunscreen and I don't know if you've tried sunscreen but it's it's an amazing product and but it definitely was something that I was looking for but customers were saying to us like you know what kind of chips do you eat like you know what kind of other products do you use and so I really like talking about the relationship with the customer I mean I'm sure you you get this a lot too where customers are writing to you and sort of you know not just giving you ideas but also saying can you guys solve this problem it seems like you really get who I am Mm -hmm. as an individual is that sort of where that came from I mean yeah I think there's a combination I mean there's been some um, there's a handful of products we get a lot of customers asking for different products I think it's um, for us we wanted to we wanted to expand into a different category and for us I don't know sunglasses we just identified with and kind of there's a monopoly of like Luxottica and all these other large kind of brands that own Sunglass Hut and Ray-Ban and, you know, I don't know, 25 other brands. So for us, it made sense kind of what, you know, essentially why Warby Parker came to be. But for us, it was just the fashion side of it. And when I think about what the main fashion kind of sunglass brand is, it's Ray-Ban, at least for my demo. And and I think for, yeah, a large portion of at least the United States. So for me, it was coming out with, again, with an accessible kind of price point and, um, you know, comparable quality and, um, and then just like designs and, and a brand that people could actually connect with. I don't think Ray-Ban does a good job of having that connection with the customer. So they do a good job at you know distribution and selling, but for us, we saw an opportunity there. And so we did that um, and we've learned a lot. I think as you know, it's taken, I think it's been two years since we first launched sunglasses. So, um, and we don't have a ton of capital because we're bootstrapped. So it's kind of launched what we, think is right and, and kind of do a soft launch learn from it and then kind of iterate from there so we've learned a lot I think this year we really did it right and um, next year we'll do it even better so it's just it's a it's a learning process we've also launched jewelry last year in Q4 um, same idea soft launch and we'll roll into uh, a more aggressive launch this year and then next year I think we'll do an even better job but that, those are like the main categories that we're focused on. I think those are, I mean, each of those categories are multi, multi billion dollar categories. And I just want to make sure that, and I think they all fit together pretty well for the most part. Um, so we just want to make sure we do them well before we go kind of all over the place. Go crazy but, with yeah. that. So you mentioned a few other uh, eyeglass companies um, that are out there. So they've, you know, gone full force into stores. Have you thought about going into, you know, we're, I mentioned this too because we're launching our first store actually next week in San Francisco on Union Street. Yeah, really, really exciting. Actually, it's a water bar. And so, um, yeah, so we, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people are sort of like, oh, wait, what are they doing? I mean, they're launching a water bar, but I started to really think about like, why is it that whenever you want to go and, 
you know, just grab a quick conversation with somebody, then you go grab a coffee or a yeah. tea. Like, why can't you just go grab a bottle of water yeah. and just go hang out and have a place where you can go charge your phone, have a place where you can, you know, listen to good tunes, yeah. you know, just like a really happy place where you can just like sit there and just chill for a little while and, you know, be like a buck, you know, yeah. to have a, like, you don't have to, there's no big ticket, yeah. you know, you don't have to order food. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, you just want to get out and go do something. So, yeah. So anyway, we're really, really excited about that. But we really believe that it's also about brand and it's also a place where people can learn about, you know, how we feel about different components of our brand and why we're doing it. I mean, we launched Hint as a um, answer to uh, to really, you know, giving up the diet sodas of the world. But there's a, a lot of other things that we believe in and including, you know, that plastic is actually one of the best materials that you can use which is really counter to what a lot of you know people talk about but it's the most recyclable of all products and it's uh glass is no longer recyclable and and uh these um box containers like you mentioned are actually going into landfills flat and, and they're not recyclable so um, there's one place in the world that actually recycles those containers. And so um, so anyway, there's a lot of knowledge that we have as a brand that we don't actually, you know, go and talk about. But we thought in our store we can actually talk about it for yeah. those who really want to know more about those kind of things. And so, um, so anyway, I'm so curious because it sounds like you have a lot of knowledge about, you know, the watch industry. I see this in... Um, you know, places like um, in Warby stores, for example, I mean, they talk about, uh, you know, that Luxottica yeah. brand and how they're not, uh, you know, that they're really not offering the best deals. There's there's not as much choice um, as you could actually have and things like that. So have you thought about that as well? Oh, yeah, Cer certainly. I think for us, it's been uh, kind of similarly to direct to consumer wholesale retail like what what in what order when when's the right time um it's definitely you know coming up for us uh it's just a matter of how we want to execute it like what's kind of the the vision behind it um but also like what what products do we have i want to make sure that we have a large amount of kind of um you know skews to to offer to our customers but we're definitely we've been talking about it and i think it's an important piece again you have to be where your customers shop and um, people still like an in-person experience, especially, totally. especially if it's brand owned, right? Like if you can tell your story and have this cool experience where versus just selling to, you know, a Starbucks or whoever, where it's not a bad place to be, but to have your own experience story to allow people to connect directly with the brand, I think, um, really goes a long way. I think it's just, it's, it's about how you execute it and, um, and just strategy around that, which it's not, again, like I, I come from the digital world, so it's all areas where I'm like, okay, we either ha I either have to learn it or I have to hire someone or, you know, test or whatever it is. Like with everything, we're, we kind of make sure that we're doing it right before, because I think that's how brands are built too. You know, we're, we come from, you know, not not that this is bad. There's a lot of brands that have been venture backed and, and, and kind of grow at this rapid pace. But for us who are completely bootstrapped, I just think that like the evolution of a brand takes time um, and you learn things from kind of testing and, and failing. Uh, that's how I got to be an entrepreneur to begin with. So even with stores or new products or whatever, I kind of want to test and fail a little bit because we're like some people who are 
you know have large amounts of venture backed kind of money will just jump right in and go as fast as possible because it's it's a race you know Dollar Shave Club is racing you know uh, Harry's and then all the other razor brands right so it's just grow 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 which again I think depending on what industry you're in you have to um, I think for us like we're our brand is strong enough we've done we've built a, a strong enough brand that we can not take our time but just make sure that we do it right and 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 not feel like we just need to like move because we have to do stores next or whatever but it's definitely like so for as an example we probably do a pop-up first or um or have a location in los angeles just to test and And you guys are in san fran too right and that's the one yeah. yeah that's the one that we end up doing but i think that's really really smart i mean i think to your point people always say like you know i've got to i've got to go out and raise money in order to do this and i you know they they think that it's that I'm being flip when I say why, yeah. you know. But I'm also like, if I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you can't figure out how to actually make a business a business mm-hmm. without going out and raising money, yeah. then it's probably not a business, yeah. right? Like most great entrepreneurs want to raise money, whether it's through Indiegogo or whether it's through you know angels or whatever, mm-hmm. in order to scale. Right, but if you can't actually pull that back and and build a business without that, and really quickly in your mind actually think about how can this actually can how can this business be a business without actually raising money, then it's probably not going to be a business. Um, so I think that that's like and you know just to your point too. I mean I remember 2008 2009, which was some of the greatest points in our history in you know, the last few years. I mean, we, uh, you know, we launched, we were a small brand. We were in um, some major retailers and basically one retailer in particular came to us and said, uh, said, so, you know, the economy is in bad shape and what we need to see happen is that we need to have you give us product and in all of our stores. And that way we'll be able to you know, sell your product and we'll still be able to, you know, do well because we'll be, even if it's a slower economy, we'll still, Consignment, you know, basically. Um, well, not just consignment, but also they wanted the product for free. So they weren't gonna like, yeah, so a major, major retailer. And so I said, so wait, I, I think I'm misunderstanding what you're saying. So you're not gonna pay us? for the product and they said that's right but you're going to be able to be there and you're going to be visible and you have to view it as like marketing and I was like I I just don't get it and (laughs) there were like eight other brands that we knew that were going to do that deal and we walked away and basically said we'll grow slower or we'll just close the whole company down in order to do it but I mean we're not going to lose money in a bad economy I mean that sounds really dumb and then those other eight brands went out of business and like we didn't go out of business and then that large retailer called us and said we really want you to be in our stores and I said oh do you want me to give you twice as much product as like you asked last time like I was laughing at the whole thing because I thought I don't really need them but now they're willing to pay for the product and um, because those other products went out of business and so I think that if you have a, a business that you, you know, really believe doesn't need capital, but you will, are willing to go out and get the capital in order to actually, you know, scale, 
the business at some point, yeah. you know, then I think it makes sense. But otherwise, I always say to people, and also like who you're actually taking money from. Mm. So, I mean, it's one thing if you're doing an Indiegogo like you did too, but I mean, the number of people who are making decisions because their investors are saying, well, you have to scale quicker because your competitor is like, they just got $50 million and they're going to go quick and, you know, our investment's going to go away if you don't go just as fast. I mean, I've never had investors that are like doing that to us who are basically like pushing on us to actually make decisions that we're not really that comfortable with, but I'm sure you know a million other companies that are doing that too. So I always say to people too, it's like, you know, it's not just about the money, it's also about the partnership. And, you know, can you actually go out and hang out with this person for a couple of hours and not feel like, you know, strangling them by the end of it or feeling like they're just yucky and dirty and, you know, like you've got to like those people that you're dealing with and partnered with for sure. Yeah, and these are are examples of, so I I don't come from that, you know, background of raising capital or anything like that. So this was the time where I went to other founders and met with founders who have raised hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars and uh, same type of thing. Hey, can I buy you coffee? And and I learned from them and um, and they've really helped me understand, get a holistic view and um, uh, just a view of an entrepreneur. Because it's easy, you talk to venture capitalists or you talk to, you know, investors and there's, there's that view, which isn't a wrong view, it's just that view. And then you have yeah. the entrepreneur's view and I think it's just good to like mix and match. And every, it's funny that this has been—it's been one instance where I've had not—I wouldn't say radically different views, but just different, definitely different views of different ways to do things. And so I've kind of just formed my own opinion based off of it. Like it has, there hasn't been one clear way to do it. I think it's—it kind of goes investor to investor, and then also goes kind of business to to business, depending on what you are. And you know, I think if you're an Uber, yeah, you go raise money and grow as fast as you can. If you're you know, but if you have a physical good like like we do, you know, you can raise money to, to get going and, and I think it helps with inventory and, and to grow the business, but there's just certain areas where you have to be careful. Um, yeah, totally. So it's just stuff that I've learned again through kind of um, mentors that, um, I again, being in Los Angeles has been one. LA, San Francisco, and New York, I think is- Where it's all happening. Yeah. Who is the entrepreneur that you look at as like the most inspiring? Um, yeah, I mean, so we have one on our board, um, Jeff Kroll from Stan Socks. Um, so he's he was, uh, I think he was like the chairman or something at, at Skull Candy before, and he had a tech startup before that he sold. So, um, and he's a, a large angel inve- investor. He hasn't invested in us, but um, just, a, just a really well-connected guy. I think I also look for people who have a good work-life balance. Like I, I, I can't necessarily take advice from someone who is 100% work and like, doesn't kind of neglects the rest of their life. So I just like finding people who I feel like have a good balance because it's just, I feel like there's a certain sacrifice that you need you need to be willing to make and seeing people who are have that good balance, I just feel like, okay, that's that's something to kind of strive for. Like they they figured it out to a degree. So um, outside of that, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, and how did you meet him? Just reached out? Uh, we got connected through kind of, yeah. Um, and basically, yeah, connected, reached out, drove down to him, and um, and it was funny because it was just like a casual conversation, and it turned into, which I've had with you know dozens of entrepreneurs, of just a one-time conversation or coffee, and this turned into, there was just like he's he he yeah chemistry, good yeah. guy, and and also like he I think he's built an amazing brand, um, which amazing. yeah which I have I just it's I haven't 
I think in our space, you know, a kind of uh, physical kind of product or fashion, I think there's not as many that have done it like a, a stance or a movement. Um, so outside of that, though, yeah, there, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I think ever, a lot of the other entrepreneurs I know, like, we're still in the thick of it. So yeah. it's not like I think people are still growing. And How big's you know. your board? Uh, it's just me, my co-founder, and I was gonna say because you don't have yeah. investors, yeah. so you didn't have to yeah. put a big board together, yeah. but you really wanted to yeah. in order to learn. Exactly, that's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, and, and and him, yeah, it was more of just yeah him helping with kind of larger. Just, I mean, he he's gone through a lot of what we've either planned to go through or have talked about. I mean, he has retail stores and with Skull Candy. I mean, it's a more legacy brand that he's seen. Um, kind of old school, different strategies. So he's just, he's just, and also, I mean, he's done a ton of license agreements with Stanth. They're the NBA, official NBA SOC, official MLB SOC. They've done stuff with Rihanna, Bing Sean, and uh, just a handful of people. So um, definitely a good, I think from a brand and personal perspective, like inspiration for, for me and my co-founder. That's awesome. So the name of the podcast is Unstoppable. So what makes you unstoppable? What makes me unstoppable? Um, where did I hear this? It was something about how I think that when I think about like what I want to accomplish, it's, it's like, which this might be a bad thing. I don't know. It might be like a, uh, it might be a bad thing. Nothing's bad. It's, it's this like, so I, I've just always had this. It's, it's not the fear of failing for me. It's the fear of, of not like, I guess not trying, like, I just want to, I, I know that I have to get, like, whether I fail, I'll start all over again, I have to get to, to what the, you know, my, my, my goals that I've set for myself. Um, so for me, it's just like that, I have that um, internal kind of um, spirit that just, I don't, I just, it's, I guess, unstoppable, right? Like, it's, I, I think about it every day, I wake up and I think about the goals, it's, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. Um, so these are just things that I've been thinking about for years now. Before I started this business, like it's all, I've always had this goal of a life I wanted. Um, and you know, I'm not there yet, but it's just something that's been internal in me. And uh, again, it's not, it's not the fear that like I'm gonna try something and fail, I'm okay with that, because I've failed a handful of times. It's just the fear of like not getting to that point it makes me. And you'll get there. Yeah. You're, I know you're gonna get there. I mean, you're, you've got the, you've got the vision, and you're, you're definitely gonna do it. Super, super awesome. So we ask a couple of questions too. Um, so, what's your favorite hint flavor? What's my favorite hint flavor right now? This one right here. <laughs> the watermelon. I've had this, and I think you guys have like a, 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 a berry, like a cherry or something. Or we, have black. A, we have a cherry. We have a blackberry. Black, black so yeah, yeah. yeah, those are. I right. haven't had. You guys have sparkling ones too now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I need to try that. I'm a big fan of sparkling water, and but I love these, so. Yeah, we also have a caffeinated version of our product, too, and we're coming out with a caffeinated sparkling version of the product, which is going to rock, So, but there's no sweeteners in any of our products, so. I live walking distance to a Whole Foods, so yeah. um, I definitely see you guys all the time. Yeah, very cool, and we're in Target, and we're huge in Target, so yeah, so we're getting more and more into lots of retailers, and um Actually, we're on a bunch of campuses now. We're on, actually, your former UCSB's campus and uh, ASU and lots of um, Auburn University. Uh, where else did somebody just wrote to me the other day? Is it Northwestern? Um, yeah, so we're getting on more and more campuses because, you know, people are realizing that sugar is just, and all these sweetened drinks is not really what's going to help them 
you know, not only stay healthy, but ultimately do what they want to do if they want to become entrepreneurs or, um, you know, they've got to actually take care of themselves. And, and to your point, like have some kind of balance in their life where they're, you know, doing something else that they like to do, whether it's running or yeah. soul cycling or whatever it is. Yeah. So no, what, I love it. What's your workout? Um, right now I try and go to the gym four times a week. I live, I'm in a bubble. I, my office, I could throw a rock out of my apartment and hit my office and then the gym's just down the street. So um, I usually go and I'll wait, uh, lift weights for uh, an hour and then I'll uh, run for 20 minutes or so. Did you do that purposely to set up your business so that it's kind of... Uh, no, not really. I mean, we, I, when I got my apartment, I lived in Venice and then we moved to, I moved to Playa Vista and our office was in Culver City, so it was pretty close. And then we, we knew we needed to find a new place and we were looking in, in various areas and then it just so happened that literally this place across... like. It couldn't have been more coincidental that it was right across the street, and it was the best option that we found. So um, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't purposeful, but it happened. <laughs> so, are you traveling a lot? Uh, somewhat. Probably once a month. Oh, um, not bad. Not bad. I, I try and stay in the office. I don't know. I, I'm going to have to travel more, um, but I'm not. Yeah. I, I like being in the office. Um, I just like I get, just keep a good sense. I sit out with everyone else. Like I know what's going on. I have my office, but I I only use it for phone calls and whatnot. Yeah, but. you're out in the open. My office is out in the open as well. Yeah, so sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's like yeah, so. maybe I should have an office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, get, I get distracted after that. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say because I travel a lot, and I think that 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 travel schedule really starts to sabotage my my uh, health regime and, oh, and yeah. you know it just throws me off but well, that's actually that's actually another reason is like you come back from a flight and I'm I'm 10 15 minutes from LAX so it's perfect I can uber and it's not a big deal but you just get exhausted I mean even even flying San Francisco is actually the best place to fly it's like so a 45 easy. minute yeah. um, but you know I've gone to Seattle to visit Amazon and that's a couple hours and you know, anytime we have to go to New York, it's it's a big one. I've gone to Hong Kong and China a few times, which is, uh, the flights are never fun, but it's fun when we get there, so. So, just one last question. So, uh, an entrepreneur, like, what would you tell yourself as, as a budding entrepreneur that you wish someone would have told you ages ago? Yeah, I think that, you know, I wish I would have consumed more podcasts and um, for me I actually like podcasts more than books I feel like there, there are some great books out there but it's hard for me to, to get through uh, I wish they just made books shorter I wish I, there was just like all the good juicy stuff and that was it. I listen to audiobooks too more than I actually sit down and read but there's actually a podcast about that is there yeah <laughs> I read a study on it I think they I can't I think they said that listening is better than reading because you're visually you're using your eyes to like you know read and mm -hmm. your mind to like process it versus just like listening but anyways um so i think just listening to podcasts like business related podcasts um you know and learn and just learning just from keep yeah learning I, I i read a lot of like uh different forums and and blogs so for e-commerce shopify's blog is probably the best out there in my opinion um i think that whether it's just shadowing or interning if you can at other places at, at, at like companies i think taking you know, again, founders or it depends. If you want to start your business, I would say go take a founder out to, to lunch or 
or you know a drink or whatever and just pick their brain as to as to what they did i think finding people who have accomplished what you want to accomplish i had a lot of successful people in my life that have been mentors to me but it was when i wanted to make the jump into a specific industry um they didn't understand anything about it and it was just hard because you get kind of contradicting advice from you know other successful people about your business and it, it, and i've just realized more and more as like as i've met a lot of successful people that it's only people really specifically in my industry that really understand like certain things that, yeah that i'm yeah, going yeah. about so um, I don't know. I, I really think it's just getting out and networking, whether it's like a meetup or whatever. I mean, I used to do it way more when, and it proved to be worth every you know ounce of my time. I think now I just, I, I have, I'm fortunate that I have people reaching out to me that I get to network with, or like we get people in the office. I still, I went to, I spoke at HustleCon, um, which was like 2,500 people, and I, I just walked around. I, I said, as I was speaking, that, I kind of answered this question. I said, if you see an entrepreneur or you have a chance, like, you know, you have to go up and talk to them and, you know, whatever. And I, I kind of shot myself in the foot because right when I left and walked around, Lots like, I had, I could, yeah, I, like, yeah. I lost my voice by the end of it. But I loved it. I gave out my email, my number to a handful of people. Like, just, I wanted to, to help any way I could because there was a time where I didn't know, I, there wasn't a, a kind of an entrepreneur that I looked up to. There was the Mark Zuckerberg, but, they're just geniuses, and then you had Elon Musk, and it just didn't connect with like what I wanted to do and what I thought thought my skill set was. A dropout in college as well with you know uh, ADD. So this was just these were things that I want to tell my story, and if I have a chance to, to talk to people, I, I really try to as much as possible. So that's awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you so Absolutely. much. Yeah, it was super, you. super, super fun. You can check out the awesome products Jake is creating at movementwatches.com and keep up with this brand at Movement on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's at sign MVMT. Thanks, all. I love giving away things that are dear to my heart, like Hint Water. So for the next three months, I'll be choosing five lucky listeners each episode to win a year's supply. To enter, all you have to do is go to karagolden.com backslash iTunes and leave a review. That's it. And if I see you tweeting it out and tagging me at Kara Golden, you will increase your chances of being picked. And as a special thank you to all of our Unstoppable subscribers, for a limited time only, you can enjoy a special hint offer at drinkhint.com slash unstoppable. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. unstoppable.